If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Genesis, and let's go to chapter 1. Lord willing, we're going to do chapter 1 and 2. In the beginning, I like to give a little introduction, as I always do in a new book study. The book of Genesis, uh, the Hebrew word for Genesis means beginning. The author is Moses, and there are several other passages that tell us that Moses is the writer. Uh, the period of the writing is the 15th century uh, B.C. The type of book of Genesis, it's the book of the law, the first book of the Pentateuch. Here's the theme. From the beginning of man to the founding of the Hebrew nations, and in the introduction, Genesis is the book of beginnings, uh, the book uh, of beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of sin, the beginning of God's plan for redemption of man's sin. God's love for mankind. I want you to mark this verse down. When we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God already makes provision for man. I mean, you're going to see the beauty of creation. And then man fell. And even Adam and Eve had choice. They were free moral agents. And so they had the position to choose or to reject. And God told them of all the trees in the garden, you could partake of but one particular tree. And you know, the emphasis is not on the tree specifically, but the emphasis is on obedience. God says, obey me and I will bless you. Disobey me and there are consequences. And because they ate of the forbidden fruit, we have Adamic sin today. We are born, each one of us, with Adamic sin. And the time comes uh, when we reach the age of accountability, uh, the age of understanding, and the gospel is presented. And so we have a choice to receive or to reject. And obviously, when we receive that Adamic sin, is cleansed, it's washed by the blood of the Lamb. But again, Genesis is the book of beginnings, the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of sin, the beginning of God's plan for redemption of man's sin, God's love for all mankind. We think of John uh, 3.16, for God so loved the world. And here's John, uh, Genesis 3.15, God's already making provision. Now we're going to begin here, and you're going to see the word created. And it is the Hebrew word bara. There are two Hebrew words basically that are used when you're making something, building something. And when God created, he used the word bara. Bara means that he made something from nothing. And he's going to say light be and it was. Darkness be and it was. But when we build something, when we make something, we need materials. We need uh, to build it, and it's the word asa. And so it's a big difference when you come to that. Now, this is where our faith comes in. And then obviously, there's the scientific teaching, and it's called evolution. Well, when you study evolution, and then you study creation, I'll tell you what, it takes more faith to believe in evolution when it takes faith that God gives you to believe in creation. So let's begin here. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 1. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the subject of the Bible is God. The purpose of the Bible is the knowledge of God and his love for mankind. In the beginning, God. And so you look at the word God. In the Hebrew, it's the name Elohim. And it means the plurality of God. Here we already begin to speak of the Trinity. When you see Elohim, you break it down as such in the Hebrew. El speaks of one. Elo speaks of two. Elohim, more than two. And so we have the Trinity represented, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, in the Trinity, we believe three distinct persons, one God. And so God, Elohim, created Hebrew, bara. We need materials to create, to build. God uses the word bara. He created from nothing. He simply said it, and it was concerning creation. And it was all that we will see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Now, I ask this question, why is it so hard to believe? If you have faith, you can believe. You can believe that the universe and the worlds came from a speck, from an ooze. But imagine how much faith that takes to believe. And so the Bible says that God created. In my opinion, it's said and done. But I've been studying the scriptures for 30 plus years. And I'm a Christian, but I have faith. Now, I honestly believe in the school system that they should, teach, they should teach both, teach evolution and teach creation. But they want nothing to do with creation. But I, before I get into any further, I gave you this flyer, uh, this handout, Pastor Chuck Smith, Creation in Genesis, and, and we just touched the tip of the iceberg. Nature reveals God to us. Nature reveals God's power, greatness, and his wisdom. But we need the Bible to provide a unified body of knowledge concerning God. God is the creator of all things, the object of creation, the sustainer of creation. Scripture reads, God created the heavens and the earth. Men who do not accept God as creator must find other ways for existence. And they call it theories for our existence. The problem with a theory of evolution is this. And he's going to give us six points. And the seventh point is book reading that he uh, says is very, you know, good to read. Number one, no new creation is taking place or evolving today. Good point. Secondly, matter is constantly changing, but the trend is downward, not upward. It's almost the same. The moment we're born, we begin to die. The third point, the earth would have to be much older than it currently is to provide time for simple cells to evolve to the complexity of the cells we have today. Complexity of cells is not synonymous with high, higher life forms. Take, for instance, the frog. The frog has the, their cells are more complex than the human cells. And if you've ever seen a medical book, and I've, you know, looked at them, I don't understand them, but you just look at a medical book and it blows your mind. You go to an eye doctor and they usually have a chart and it's all about the eye. And just look at the complexity of that. 
And you go, how? I don't have to worry about a frog, but he said that a frog has more complexity. Now, it's just interesting. Then he goes on to point four. Dating of fossils is oftentimes inaccurate. Mutations, number five, mutations occur within a species, but do not cross over to another species. Those of you that have dogs, and if you have two dogs, male and female, and then they mate, in the time that takes place, are kittens born or dogs? That's what he's trying to say. It's never crossed over. Now we have different dogs, and you have different varieties of dogs. But it's in the same species when you think about it. Number six, the population of the earth would be greater if man were as old as evolutionists come claim to be. Now, I'm going to go through some theories. Is Are we living in a young earth, 7 to 10,000 years? Or are we living in an earth that's millions of years old? And let's take it to the next step because it's always increasing. Now they're saying billions of years old. How old is the earth? Interesting. God said six days he created now, when you look at Scripture, you have in Genesis uh, up to Matthew, and it's all figured out. I didn't. I should have brought it with me. There's a diagram, and you have 4,000 years. And from Matthew to Jesus' return is 6,000 years. And then you're, you're going to have the conclusion because there has to be uh, a 1,000-year reign of Christ. So, you know, it, it just, again, it's easy for, for me. I hope it's easy for you as a creationist. Now, the seventh point, suggested reading in subject matter, evolution, the fossils say no by Dwayne Gish, and then twilight of evolution by Henry Morris. Now, for the longest time, uh, Calvary chapels have always been recommended uh, to read Henry Morris. Uh, excellent read, Henry Morris. And you, you just can't go wrong. And yet, you're always going to come across things that you might not agree with. J. Vernon McGee, McGee, that is, a great teacher, but sometimes he says things that I'm not in total agreement. And so, you know, you're always going to have that. And, and it's great. We can have, you know, an idea. We can even have our own theory. I, I know Christians that believe in an old earth. And uh, there's Christians that don't want to believe in a young earth. And again, that's your perspective, you know. But let's look at the scriptures. So, in the beginning, God created. Now, let's go to verse 2. And here's where we have our first, uh, uh, you know, concern. Let's look at it. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, notice the Trinity, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of, of the waters. There are those who teach the gap theory in times between verses 1 and 2. Here is another interpretation of verse 2. But the earth became wasteful and desolate. God has created in verse 1. How long between verse 1 and verse 2? How long is this gap theory? Was there a time span? There are those that believe that uh, in between verses 1 and 2 is when Satan was kicked out of heaven and earth was already established, not complete yet, because God's going to do that in chapter 2, but that Satan and the demons caused havoc on the earth. I don't know. 
I don't know. He was cast down to the earth. And so there's a lot of theory here. And so I wanted to read verse 2 just to give you a little more insight. Listen to what the NIV says. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The New Living Translation says, The earth was empty, a formless mass, cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. Uh, the young, uh, literal, Young's literal translation, uh, I thought it was good. He says this, The earth has existed waste and void, and darkness is on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God is fluttering on the face of the waters. Just trying to give you some different flavor here. The Amplified said it a different way. The earth was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. Again, in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He uses the word bara. Genesis 1-1 indicates that God created the heavens and the earth. How long before he finished uh, the, com the complete work? How long was the earth without form and void? Or better translated, empty. We don't know. Let's suggest years. Verses 1 and 2 between there. Is it 50 years? Is it 100 years? Is it 1,000 years? Is it millions? I don't know the answer. And I tell you, you can read quite a bit, and you're still not going to have the answer. When we get to heaven, okay, God, I have to know. How much time span between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? The Bible says we're going to know and have the mind as God. When we get to heaven, we'll know the answer. And you'll go, never mind, I already know. But, you know, people get, I'm telling you, people get caught up into this and, and arguments and, you know, theories and such. I don't know all the people I have read uh, do not know. They always call it a theory or the gap theory. And, again, is the earth 10,000 years? Is it millions of years? Verse 2 again. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The Hebrew is telling us in verse 2 that the earth lay in waste. Literally, it was no form, just a mass. That's what the Hebrew is telling us. It was void. The Hebrew word, it was empty. There was darkness. And we're going to see the creation of light. Uh, the word darkness, the Hebrew speaks of that the earth was in misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, obscurity. Now, some of those words can easily describe that Satan created that. But you see, God wasn't finished yet because he's going to finish that as we continue. But when you look at these words, this was the whole earth until God created the forms, the fullness, the lights, the moisture, etc. He, God, does this in six days, as we will read in the following verses. May I suggest, if you Google Blue Letter Bible, 
click on the commentaries and read Pastor Chuck Smith commentary on Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then David Gusek, he gives great commentary on Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And again, there's so much, but being in Calvary Chapel all these years, I really don't trust a whole lot of other commentaries. Uh, Pastor Chuck is very knowledgeable in this area. He knows a, a lot more than I will ever know. And he'll tell you, I don't know everything. And so that's why he studies people like uh, Morrison. And so, uh, again, these are good studies for us. But uh, bottom line, you know, we still must have faith in God. I, I can honestly tell you this. All of this did not evolve. And I don't buy the Big Bang Theory. There are those that believe in that. And I always respond to the Big Bang Theory. If there was a Big Bang Theory, somebody lit the fuse. There has to be a creator. But you see, these scientists, when they get into their uh, mode, they won't move because they get deep into it. They have to believe what they're teaching. I mean, there are footprints uh, in Texas in lime beds, and you have dinosaurs and man walking on the earth at the same time. You know that those are rejected by the scientists, but they're there. How can you reject them? Chuck in his office has uh, one of those, uh, what do they call it, plaster Paris? And they actually have a dinosaur print and a man's footprint right in the middle. He has a copy of that. And if you go to his office, he'll show it to you. But the evolutionists don't want anything to do with that. One of my best friends went to the site, and he asked about it. And they took him to another site that had no, just uh, the prints of the dinosaurs. He says, I'm a Christian, and I'd like to see the ones where men, oh, he goes, you want to go another place. And they sent him to it. It's, it's not registered. It's not on the brochures. You have to ask for it, but it's there. I think it's Biloxi or Biloxi, uh, Texas. Uh, I can find that out for you later, but uh, because there's supposed to be something like 50,000 uh, years or more in separation of dinosaur and man. And so here's this footprint. Oh, and by the way, by the way, uh, the footprint of the dinosaur and the footprint of man, Pastor Chuck says, this was a good-sized man. He had an 18-inch foot. He had a pretty good-sized foot. But uh, anyway, that, that's here nor there. But again, man will believe what they want to believe. In verse 3, then God said, let there be light. So he begins now to put it all together. Let there be light. And there was light. Wycliffe, in his commentary, he says, with unbelievable ease and deliberate consciousness, the omnipotent God, and that's the all-powerful God, brought light into existence. He uttered his words, and instantly his will was accomplished. Light was God's answer to the dominance of darkness. Remember what we read. It was the Lord's first positive move toward completing the full program of creation. I want you to write this down. Let me read it to you. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9, God's sovereignty in creation and history. 
And again, there's so much cross-reference. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't get past chapter 1. But in Psalm 33, verse 6, But the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God did it. Again, here's the psalmist. And they speak about creation. This is just, you know, one of them. Uh, in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and again, you can't go wrong when you do the cross-reference with the Scripture. The greatest commentary I was always taught in shepherd school is your Bible. And yet I love commentaries just like anybody else, but you have to be careful. Now, look at verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And so you're going to have the light and the day. In verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. This was his creation. On the first day was light. Common sense that light was the first day. Light is needed for life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Mark this down. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 9, verse 5. And in verses 12 and 5, as we just read, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus declares that he is the light. Now listen to this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I want you to pay attention. Jesus declares you, the church, the body of Christ. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. I like that. You see, the time would come, and we know this already. We just celebrated Easter week, and we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the core of Christianity, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, Paul said, we are men and women most miserable. We're pitied. There's no, there's no completion of our Christianity. We just call ourselves Christian. But because of the resurrection. And so Jesus knew the light of the world. He knew that he was going to die and eventually ascend back into heaven. He left us as lights, church. Understand that. In Matthew 5.14 again, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Now, when you read the first day of creation was light, you might already ask in the back of your mind, well, what about the moon and the sun and the stars? Well, we'll catch that in verse 16. But it's interesting how it just all comes together. Now, look at verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. The Hebrew word that's firmament here is rakia, and it means the arch of the sky or the air spaces. Now pay attention to that as we read verse 7 and 8 because it all goes together. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now, he's speaking about the divisions of the sky. 
And then he says, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day now. So verses six through eight, there was this blanket of moisture that surrounded the earth. It was like a canopy, if you may. It protected men from the cosmic radiation and cell damages that so uh, that come after the lifespan. And the sun does. We know that now. The sun destroys our bodies. Our lifespan is totally different, and it's getting less. Lifespan today can be 60, 70, 80, where lifespans before were easily in the 90s and 100s. But in this canopy effect, it caused people to grow old. Now, I'm just going to give you a few. Genesis 5.5, Adam died. He was 930. Hallmark would have had a blast with him. In Genesis 5.8, one of his sons, Seth, died at 912. Genesis 5.8, another son, Enos, he died at 912. I want you to think of this canopy effect. When you have this canopy effect, the sun's rays were not getting through. And the moisture, it was a continued moisture, and it was lush and green. All of that's proven out. I mean, the, the North Pole was, was green. And so, at this time, this is why people were able to. Now, Paul the Apostle, when he's writing to the Corinthians, speaks of the three heavens. When you look at the three heavens, what we see, we go outside, and what you see with the naked eye, it's called the atmosphere. And see as far as you want to see. In Southern California, we didn't used to see too far. Because the atmosphere was fog, or smog, excuse me. Now, the second heaven is called the universe. In our time span, we have gone out to the universe. I mean, look at our telescopes now. And then look at the probes that have gone out. Look at the astronauts. How far have they gone? So you have the atmosphere, you have the universe, and then you have the place of God, God's abode. God's domain. Will man ever reach where God lives in a sense? The answer is no, unless you're born again of the Holy Spirit and then you die and you take on that new body. Because with these bodies, we cannot get there. You can see the example. The astronauts have to use all kinds of different, you know, gear in order for them to go into the atmosphere. And even then, it has to be very, very controlled. And yes, they did go to the moon. But when you see the pictures and you see uh, all of the, the, the apparatus that they use, I mean, very crucial. You can't just walk on the moon, you know, with a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. That's not going to happen. And so God took this time and he separated everything. Again, I don't understand it fully. But was there water above? And water beneath? The Bible says yes. When you study Genesis, we'll get to the flood. And God opened the floodgates, it says, from the heavens and from the earth. And so water. And we see today that our earth is, they say, 30, what is that, three quarters water? Incredible. And so God knows exactly what he's doing as he looks at this. Now, this domain, I just wanted to share this. Where is the abode of God? 
You got the atmosphere, you got the universe. Uh, reading several commentaries, and Chuck also uh, makes an indication, is God's domain so far that we can't reach it. He senses that God's domain could easily, easily be, be close by. The problem is, it's in another realm, and you're not going to get there unless you die, put on this new body. And so again, man could try all he wants. Now again, that's that's just a thought. I don't know. But to get to heaven, we're going to have to get out of this body and our spirit and our soul go, go to be with the Lord. How quick? I believe instantly. And so, again, we look at these things. Now, let's continue here. We, got, we have some more things that we want to read. Then God said, verse 9, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And so the land surfaces come together. Interesting. Now, there are those that believe that the land surfaces were all together, were one, but that they separated in the time of the flood because water can easily do that. We don't know, but when you look at the continents, it almost looks like a puzzle that you could put back together. Again, I don't know how God did it. But here he's removing the water, and then the dry land appeared, and it was so. And God called the dry land and the earth, and the gathering together of the waters, like he called the seas. Notice plural, and God saw that it was good. And you're going to see that. God created bara. He made something from nothing. Asa, when you make something with material or by assembly. But then God would say, and God saw it, and it was good. I like that. That's the creation of God. God saw it, and it was good. Now look at verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind. Listen. Again, you can't cross-mutate. Whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb, that yielded seed according to its kind, and the tree that yielded fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw it, and it was good again. So, bottom line, uh, they're not going to evolve. If you plant wheat, you're going to harvest wheat. If you plant, plant a, a particular fruit, that's what you're going to harvest. That's what he's trying to say. Now, in the various species of each one of those, you're going to have variations. And again, all of this that God made is for us. God created plant life that can reproduce itself. Now, the plant life, it was for man. It was also for animal. And God puts this all together. And again, in verse 12, and God saw that it was good. Verse 13, so the evening and the morning were the third day. So we're already in the third day of creation. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and season and for days and years. And let them uh, be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. And it's interesting how we have our days and we have our nights. And then you go to different parts of the, of the, of the world and you, and you have different time schedules, 
And uh, when I was in Russia, I was blown away. We were uh, something like 12 time zones, totally lost time. And then we were only having the time period that I went, we were having about three hours of darkness. The rest of the time, it was day. And it, it, it's just, we don't understand that. I don't. But this is the way it is. Um, Alaska's the same thing in certain times of the years. But God, in his, you know, grace, he separates all this for us. Now, in verse 16, we have the first time for Asa. And then it says, Then God made, listen, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So here's the creation of God. The moon and the sun and the stars. And, and for the longest time, there was a lot of interpretation of how many stars were out there. And can you believe this? There were actually astronomers that tried to count the stars. And the Bible says that the stars are like the sand of the sea. And on a clear, clear night, we can experience the stars here. Or if you're really out there in the desert area, it's just like, wow, unbelievable. God did this. Now, was the mass already there? Remember, back in verses 1 and 2? And now he has something that he can build from? That's what the scriptures are, are declaring here. And so you have the word Asa, uh, bara, he made something from nothing. Asa, uh, he made something from materials or built something together. In verse 17, God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And again, God saw it and it was good. Now, I don't understand all the sciences, but you have the sun, you have the earth and the orbiting, then you have the earth in rotation. That's not by chance, church. <laughs> all things were created by him and all things are held up by him. Study Colossians. And again, we have all these different cross-references. Uh, I, I thank God that he is in charge. It sure is a whole lot easier than to believe that all of this evolved. Uh, we'll get to the monkey business in just a little bit. Look at verse 18 again. And, the ru and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And again, I can't emphasize it so much. And God saw it and it was good that God enjoyed and he loved his creation. And I think that is precious when you think about it. He continues in verse 19. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day now. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Listen to this. And let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it and it was good. Again, we have to just love God's terminology here. 
Moses writes it. God saw it and it was good. And again, you're not going to have the crossover in species. But look what the birds do. Look what the animal life does. I mean, isn't it amazing? I think we've all seen when the birds will get in flight and they'll go south for the winter. It's incredible to watch that. And, you know, how do they survive? How do the penguins make that long march? How do all these animals know this instinct? God places it in them. And, you know, and then you say, well, you know, they follow their parents. Well, let's go back to the first bird that took off. How did he know where he was going? And then they get blown out of, you know, their, their flight because of the winds and such, and yet they still make their destinations. And it's a proven fact if our airplanes are off course by one or two degrees, they're not going to make it to their destination. And we've got all the instruments and such, but this is God's creation. And then look what God did with the living creatures. In verse 22, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle, creeping things, and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And so it was. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind and the cattle according to its kind and everything that uh, creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw it and it was good. God created, listen, the families of animals, living creatures, various species. They did not evolve from one another. Uh, we were not birds or we were not apes. And there are some that believe that that's part of our evolutionary uh, chain. But in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see the details concerning man. God is just so unique. But I want you to think about the creatures in the animal lives. I, I mean, I think we're all intrigued at one time or another, you're sitting there watching little bugs that fly. How do they do that? Chuck brings this whole theory out, and I just start laughing. He says, I'm watching a fly. How do they land upside down? How do they stay there? How do they fall? And then they land on their feet. I don't understand that. I can't do that. But that's God's creation. This is the beauty of God. And then you have the different critters that can fall in that same category. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, there could have been a few that God shouldn't have created. The mosquito, the ticks, and, you know, you just go on down the line. Well, take it up to, with him when you get there. Now, in verse 26, we get to God's greatest creation. This is where we come in. Remember we spoke about the Trinity? Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Who is he speaking to? There are those that say he's speaking to the angels. I don't think so. I think he's speaking to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You've been here in time past, and I will tell you, Jesus was in the beginning. Go back and study John chapter 1. Jesus was part of creation. So let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were not made after the image of an animal. We did not evolve from apes. And I, I just, I find it so hard that a PhD, a man of intelligence, how, how long does he go to school? And, and then he sits there and he believes his ancestors were monkeys. And you can't change some of these guys. And, you know, here they are with their higher education. Hmm. The fool in his heart says there's no God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. In verse 28, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, before the flood came, again, they were living 800, 900 years. How many children were they having? Ladies, some of these women were pregnant. How old are you? 680. You're pregnant again, huh? Yep. I don't know how it works, but God knows. But the earth came to be. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves in the earth. God makes man in control. Superior being. Man is created in the image of God. We are not God. We are man. We are woman in his image. Ah, I love that. I love that. And then he gives us the animal life. He gives us the plant life. Verse 29. And God said, See, I have given you every herb and yielding seed which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food that it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we just went through six days of creation. God did all of this for mankind. He did it for you. He did it for me. And what does God want from us? He wants fellowship. He wants fellowship. He wants us to break bread with him. We were created to serve him. We were created to worship him. Uh, back in the 60s, that was the big coin, you know. Uh, why were we born? What were we created for? What good are we? And everybody was trying to find out, well, we were created in God's image. We were created for God. And now we know as believers, and it's such a beautiful thing, he gave us the green herbs. He gave us the fruits. He gave us the seeds. Now, it's believed that man originally was vegetarian. But then after the flood, then they began to eat the meats. And our teeth patterns show that, that we have teeth for ripping. And, you know, I mean, who doesn't like a good steak, right? So Genesis chapter 2, the Garden of Eden. Now, we're going to see some rivers, and we're going to see some places. And people say, well, the Garden of Eden has to be there. But if the landmass has separated, and if it's moved, and if it's changed, and, and earth is constantly changing, are we looking in the right place? Man always tries to do things like that. Genesis 2, 
verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. I like that. It was finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Did God need to rest because he was tired? The answer is no. Why did God choose a day of rest? I, I believe that's for us. I believe that we are to keep holy uh, the Sabbath. I believe that we are to keep holy that day that's meant for God. We're supposed to work uh, six days a week. And then we have the Sabbath or we have Saturday. Uh, Saturday or Sunday. Which one is it? Uh, again, you're going to have the arguments uh, either way. But uh, bottom line, it's time to worship God. Some of you aren't old enough. And I don't remember it, but my dad told me that there was uh, no sports on Sundays at one time. There was no such thing as sport events on Sunday because you honored the Lord's Day. And then they found out there's money in it, right? Sport events were not to be partaken of until 1 o'clock. What's happened? Uh, sometimes football's on when I'm leaving Sunday morning to come to church. Nine o'clock, they got the games in the East Coast because it's all about money. It's all about money. If you ever get to see the story of Billy Sunday, he was a ball player and he came to Saving Grace. He was a big alcoholic and everything. and He was a tremendous preacher and uh, he talks about that quite a bit. Look at verse 3. Uh, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Listen, set it apart because in it, he rested from all his work, which God created and made. God set up the seventh day. He set it up for us, church. I believe so. Yes, it's a day of rest. Again, did God need rest? No. But to have fellowship with him. Verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Then it says there before any plant of the field was on the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord had uh, not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. And so he's kind of recapping what took place in Genesis chapter 1 already. Okay? But a mist, remember the canopy effect, went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Were we barad? No. We were asad. We were made from dust. That's all we are. We're about 17 elements of dust, they tell us. And it's interesting. <laughs> we think we're somebody. That's how man is. But we're just dust, and we're going to go back to dust. Um, dirt has 17 elements. Our bodies have the same 17 elements. I wrote that down. Now, life in the garden. Look at verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now watch this. 
The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're going to look at that again in verse 17. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first was the Pishon. Uh, it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedjalim and the onyx stone were there also. Verse 13. The name of the second river is uh, Gihon, and it is the one which goes round the whole land of Cush. And again, remember that these land masses have separated now. And so where are these? You can get all the maps you want, and you're not going to find the Garden of Eden, I believe. Uh, they, they think it's here. They think it's there. Uh, I think Saddam Hussein was doing exactly that. That's what he was trying to accomplish. Look at verse 14. The name of the third river, the Hittichal, uh, it is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Over every tree of the garden you may eat freely. Oh, I like that. But man, in his clever and, and just suspicious way, it's never enough. Man's never satisfied. We know back in verse 9, the tree of life. And then we're going to see in verse 17, the tree of good and evil. But God desired obedience, church. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so the animal lives were there. And God's going to create Adam. And then Adam's going to name all the animals. And... Um, but it wasn't enough for Adam. And then the woman comes into play. But uh, God provided everything for man. Now, verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name thereof. Now, let's go back to Adam. Adam was created. God took him from the dust of the earth and he blew into his nostrils life. We know that he's 17 elements of dust, of dirt. When we die, it's the same thing. How old was Adam when he was born? There are those that say he was a baby. And then you say, well, <laughs> would a baby name all the animals? And you say, well, God could allow that. Yes, he could. I think when God created the heavens and the earth, the things that were in the heavens and the earth already had their age. What do you mean? I don't think there were all little sapling trees. I think we had some good-sized trees. And I think Adam could have been easily a 30-year-old man. Now, what about the belly button? They always ask it on the radio. <laughs> the answer to that, what about it? Again, why do we ask that when God says, light be and it was? You want a belly button? He could put you one. 
little Play-Doh, it's all over with, you know? But again, these are things that people create. And then somebody said, we will know Adam and Eve in heaven because they won't have a belly button. How do you know they're going to show your, their stomach? I don't know. People are weird. Let's just get to heaven, right? <laughs> so Adam gave names to all the cattle. Look at verse 20. To the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, we're not going to go into this whole ordeal. But I want you to think of the animal lives. You know, the beasts, cows, horses, and, and then go into some exotic things. And then I want you to think of some birds. I want you to think of some bugs. Think of the names. Think of the names, you know. I mean, how did Adam know to name the dolphin a dolphin? Because we don't know anything else. You look at the elephant. Yes, that's the elephant. You look over here. That has to be a giraffe. It couldn't be anything else. It's not a rabbit. Adam named them all. Adam was a very intelligent man. He had to have been. He was God's creation. There was no school. He was put on the earth. If, if my suggestion, 30, 35, prime of his age, he had it made. He knew everything. And they existed. And they multiplied. And the earth grew. But then sin enters. We'll touch that next week. And then there was no, nothing comparable to Adam. Verse 21, I love this. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he did sleep. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead. The Hebrew, uh, there's no such thing as the word rib here. That's the translation we have. But it's best the curved side. It's something that came from Adam's side. It's the curved side. And I always suggest that if it was a rib, God took the, the rib that would have been closest uh, to Adam's heart. Now, don't go into your medical books and think you're going to find one less rib uh, on, on the man than the woman. We all have the same. I thought that for a long time. I go, hmm, I'm missing a rib. Well, it's my wife, you know. But that's not the way it works. God is in charge. So again, the rib is what we read, but it's the curved side in the Hebrew. Okay? Then the rib, or the curved side, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. I like that. And so... Ish is the Hebrew word for man, and Isha is the Hebrew word for woman. And so the woman came from the man. But all the animal life was not appealing to him. But when he saw the woman, that was for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One man, one woman, and they become one and marriage. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Now, even in Genesis, church, please understand. See, when we talk about evolving, well, we're 21st century now. And it's obvious that, you know, some men are born with more uh, woman traits and vice versa. And so now you have, you know, same-sex marriage. That was never the beginning. 
That was not so. It does not say Adam and Steve here. It says Adam and Eve. And you're still going to have that argument. We have it in some of the churches. They're, they're ordaining these people that are lesbians, that are homosexuals. When we get to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, you're going to blow your mind. I believe that same type of judgment could easily happen today. And if you notice in our society, it's getting more and more acceptable. And if you say anything wrong, what I just shared would be considered not correct politically. And so this is the, the era that we're living in. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. I would encourage you to get yourself a good book on creation. And there are books out there in evolution. We're not telling you not to read them. Look at them. Make your own decisions. Look at the scriptures. We have some brilliant minds that are out there, scientific minds, and they're Christian. And they came to know the Lord because they searched the scriptures. We cannot deny. Now, I tell you, it, it takes a lot of faith to believe that we came from a single cell, a single speck, and through the years it comes together, and we finally get a polywog or whatever, and then it, from there it takes off. And, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I got some pretty ugly families sometimes, but, you know, I never seen a monkey yet in our family. I have none. Don't send this tape to California. <coughs> Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord. It is so good to believe and to trust in you. It is so good to have faith in your creation. Not what man says, but what you say, Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We might not know everything about what happened literally in those six days, but we have a good idea. We have a good idea. We know that these things were created by you. And we also know that you used the word Asa and that you built things together by the materials that were there. And so, Father, teach us. Lord, show us. The things that you've made for us. I mean, we have uh, literally, we see the fruit, the vegetables, uh, the seeds, the wheat, and all these things. The animal life, which you've given to us, Lord. And you blessed it, Lord. Thank you. Father, bless your people. Give us a good night's rest. We look forward uh, to being back on Sunday. And Lord, we look forward to continuing in the book of Genesis. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.